All right. So to, last week we talked about fasting, and this week we're going to talk about prayer specifically. And it might be like, oh, yeah, we know that one. Dear Jesus, that's how I started. Most people started our Heavenly Father. I don't know. Is anyone a dear Jesus person in here besides me? Is it just me? I'm, oh, wow. Okay, we got one other person that's a dear Jesus person. I don't know why. Maybe it just stuck with me from childhood or something, but I'm a dear Jesus person. Um, I never got onto the Our Father, but I'm going to preach today in a way that makes me think I probably should get to the Our Father in Heaven because that's how Jesus said to do it. Anyway, so uh, we're going to talk about prayer today, and the title is called Teach Us to Pray. And that is verbatim from the Bible. The disciples asked Jesus, teach us to pray. And so that's what we're going to talk about today, how we pray, how Jesus laid it out. Let's just dive right in. We're going to be in the book of Luke. If you want to flip along in your Bible or the YouVersion Bible app or whatever Bible app that you have, you can jump around with me here. We're going to read a few different passages in Luke to give you an idea of how prominent prayer was in the life of Jesus. So starting in Luke chapter 5, verse 15, Luke chapter 5, verse 15, it says this, despite Jesus' instructions, the report of his power spread even faster, and vast crowds came to hear him preach and to be healed of their diseases. But Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. That word wilderness is eremos, and it can also be the lonely place or the desert place. He went to the wilderness or the lonely place or a place of silence and solitude to pray. He often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. And this is talking about in the height of his popularity, right? News spread and people were coming everywhere to be healed and hear his teaching, but he often withdrew to the quiet place, to the lonely place to pray. The busier he got, the more often he withdrew. Luke 6, 12 says, one day soon afterwards, Jesus went up on a mountain to pray and he prayed to God all night. He prayed to God all night. And then Luke 9, and starting in verse 18, one day, Jesus left the crowds to pray alone. Verse 28, about eight days later, Jesus took Peter, John, and James up on a mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was transformed, and his clothes became dazzling white. Verse 34, but even as he was saying this, a cloud overshadowed them, and terror gripped them, as the cloud covered them. Then a voice from the cloud said, this is my son, uh, my chosen one, listen to him. And then Luke 11, one, once Jesus was in a certain place praying, as he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John, talking about John the Baptist, taught his disciples to pray. For Jesus, prayer was the center point of his life. It was the center point of his spiritual life, of his life with God, and everything he did was rooted in that life with God and came out of a grounding in prayer. Even when he was really busy, it doesn't seem from reading those passages like it was a to-do list. Oh, I have to go pray now. I got to keep up this God appearance and make sure I check off the prayer off my to-do list, right? It wasn't a chore. It wasn't a task. It actually seems like he really enjoyed it. Like he would get away from the craziness to go pray all night with God. You don't just do that for no reason. You do it because you enjoy it or you recognize your need for it. In prayer, he would literally, literally encounter God and be transformed. It talked about that time on the mountain. It's called the transfiguration. 
that time on the mount, his clothes and his face were literally transformed in prayer. And we can be transformed in prayer, sometimes literally, maybe not always literally, but we can be transformed and experience deep transformation in prayer. But this isn't the experience for most of us, like enjoying it, being transformed every time we pray, all of these things. That's not normally most of our experience. Like if I was to pull victory faith and be like, uh, how often do you pray um, percentage of times you enjoy it versus do it as a chore or a task or just because you're in desperate straits? Or how many times are you transformed by your prayer? You see something change. How many of you are like killing it with prayer? You're like, I'm just where I need to be. I'm surpassing all my prayer goals. Prayer life is phenomenal. If you are there, come talk to me and preach this message instead, please. Um, if you're there, yay. Uh, but most of us, most of us are still working on it. We're still, we still are like, I have to set a reminder on my phone to pray. Like something like that. We're, most of us are not killing it with prayer. We've got literally multi-million dollar companies that are paying marketing agencies to distract you at all times. It's not just billboards on the street distracting your driving anymore. We've got phones with GPS with ads popping up while we're driving now. We've got uh, all of the Facebook scroll that we're addicted to, and we're like, man, how did I just waste 30 minutes on Facebook just scrolling like I literally haven't done anything productive? And then, like, have you noticed now if you're on Facebook, every other post is an ad? It's like every other post is an ad. It's not even posts from your friends anymore. It's just ads geared towards you, like shirts with your name on it. Like, whoa, creepy. Please back off. But we've got multi-million dollar business. You may pay for your iPhone or your smartphone or whatever device, but it's actually working for them. It's working for them more than it's working for us. We have so much vying for our attention. Does anyone remember um, something called boredom? Anyone? Maybe? Um, yeah, so if my kid has two seconds without a screen being on, he's like, hey, Dad, can, can we watch something? Hey, Mom, maybe we could watch the educational video. That's how he tries to get the screen on. Maybe we could watch, like, National Geographic Kids. <laughs> Mom, can I watch um, Shark versus Whale? That's educational. You know, he's like, got to get something going. Hey, Mom, can we play that? Um, we play Risk on my iPad sometimes where you pass it back and forth and you play the game with each other. Okay, that's a screen. So maybe because it's like quality time with mom. Mom, can we play risk on your iPad? <laughs> like It just constantly, we cannot be bored. Like boredom is like the worst thing in the world. But we used to have boredom. And what came out of boredom? Creativity. Because our brains had space to think, to create, to explore. I used to really struggle because I didn't have like a Bluetooth speaker in the shower. And so I would have to turn off whatever I was listening to or watching because I couldn't hear it over the shower. I was like, Kyle, we desperately need, like it is a necessity, a waterproof Bluetooth speaker for the shower. And you know, recently I've just been taking a shower with no sound and I'm like, oh, my brain has all this space all of a sudden. It's, it's kind of nice like my brain is breathing. Wow. It's fantastic. We've got, so, and it's good things sometimes. Like I'll listen to uh, spiritual growth podcasts or sermons, but I always have something on it. I don't give my brain a break or space to breathe. But at a basic level, prayer is life with God. When our life is perpetually distracted by everything, where is life with God? 
Something else to notice is that last verse we read, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And it says he came, the disciples came to him, said, teach us how to pray right after he had come back from praying. They noticed he was coming back from praying. And it's, it's depicted really beautifully in the TV show, The Chosen. I'm so sorry we talk about it so much, but it's really wonderful. Um, and we are going to have small groups coming up in February. And once a month, we have some people who are going to host the Chosen Watch parties in their home. Um, so we're watch an episode or two and discuss it like a Bible study. And so we would love for you guys to be part of that. It's really geared like yes you get to have fun and watch a show together have a watch party but then what does that mean who was Jesus in that how do I be like Jesus in that what am I exploring and learning in that when Mary Magdalene got set free of the demons what are things I need to get set free of in my life and how does Jesus show up in my life and call me by name and set me free so we're going to be working through that together as a church as well so I would love to have you do that but in the chosen uh, there's this time Jesus, it was like early in the morning, like it's really dark out, and he's coming over a hill, and, he, and the disciples are like freaking out, where's Jesus? Oh my goodness, we got to keep track of him. Someone's, the Romans are going to come confiscate him and kill him, and all the Pharisees are going to try to put him on trial, and they're like, why, who lost Jesus again? Who was the last one with him? Like all the disciples are like, where's Jesus? And then he comes back from praying, and Jesus is like, what's up, guys? <laughs> and they're like, where were you? We've been looking. He's like, oh, I'm just praying, you know, that's talking to the God, talking to the Father, just working things out with him. And they'll say, they all calm down, they feel really stupid, right? <laughs> and then they just pause for a moment. They're like, so what do you do all the time out there? Like, John the Baptist taught his disciples how to pray. Can you teach us something that we can use to pray so we know what you're doing? Because they start to notice Jesus has prayer as the center point of his life. It doesn't have to be, uh, it doesn't have to be, convenient for everyone else there could be crowds of people coming at him like we need you to do this we need you to raise the dead to heal the sick to cast out demons and just like oh hold on just a second I gotta go pray I gotta go get recharged I gotta go remember my source Jesus is even 100% God and he still goes to God the Father to be filled up how much more so do we need that we are not 100% God. We are not 1% God. <laughs> How much more do we need to constantly go back to the source if Jesus even did it? Something interesting is Jesus' disciples are never documented. Jesus, teach us how to cast out demons. Jesus, teach us how to heal. Jesus, teach us how to prophesy. Jesus, teach us how to raise the dead. They're never documented saying that, but in multiple locations in the Gospels, they're documented saying, Jesus, teach us to pray. Why do we think that? Probably that's the thing they really asked him about, all of them asked him about, because they noticed that everything he did, the signs and the wonders, came out of him constantly going away to the lonely place with the Father to pray, to center. Everything else flows from that. And so he just wanted to teach them how to pray. They noticed everything about him was rooted in his prayer life. So let's look at Luke 11 again, and we're going to kind of camp in here for the rest of this. Luke 11, starting in verse 1. When he finished talking about Jesus, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. And Jesus said to them, when you pray, it's funny, I'm going to pause here, because in The Chosen, he's like, ah, finally a question that I'd like to answer. 
<laughs> because they're always like, how many times do we do that too? We're asking God all these crazy things. And he's like, okay, this one can wait. This one we can shelf for later. That one is funny. And he's like, aha, this is one that I would really like to engage with you on. <laughs> so he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. This is like kind of the quick, tidy version of the Lord's Prayer. Um, some of you recognize it's missing some parts. The Matthew chapter 6 is like the full-on Lord's Prayer. It's like the director's cut. It's the huge, long, epic version. And then uh, this one's kind of the short version. But it kind of gets to the point, and it shows us Jesus' framework. The Lord's Prayer is Jesus' framework or template for what prayer is and what prayer isn't. And the flow and what's in it is important. Notice when you look at these four verses, needs and wants don't come until halfway through all the way in verse 3. Asking in prayer for needs and wants don't come until after some other things. Before needs and wants, we need to pray for things. So here comes our points for the day. If you have your notes, you can fill in the blank. Number one, and I encourage you to use this as your template for prayer as you're going through your 21 days of prayer and fasting. Number one, God is your father. God is your father. This seems basic, right? We know Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We start off our Father who is in heaven, all of these things. But this is important. Jesus' favorite name for God throughout the whole time he was on this earth was Father. And that's not how the Jews related to him at the time. They talked about Father Abraham. They talked about their forefathers. They talked about their ancestors. They said so-and-so is the son of so-and-so. Their last name was based on their father's name. Jesus would have been called Jesus Bar-Joseph. His last name would have been Bar-Joseph because that was his earthly father. So fathers carried a huge significant role, and they knew the importance of it. But they didn't really talk to God like a father. And Jesus is saying, I want you to know him in the same intimate way as a father and his little children. And this can be really hard for us sometimes because some of us had fathers who abused us. Some of us had fathers who tormented us. Some of us had fathers who walked up and left and never showed. Some of us had fathers who didn't ever know about us. And so it's really hard to relate to a God as God the Father when our idea of a father is so messed up from what it's supposed to be. And maybe some of you have been so hurt by your father, but now you're a parent. And you know, like, yes, it's hard, and yes, you mess up, and yes, you're not perfect, but you know how much overwhelming love you have for that kid. Maybe we can start to think of it that way. You know, something I have to tell myself when my kids are struggling and I don't know what to do and it feels like I'm failing and it feels like my hands are tied and I'm out of control, is God loves him even more than I do. God loves her even more than I do. And I love this kid more than I can imagine anyone loving a person. <laughs> and God loves them even more. That is how he feels about you. Whether your earthly parent did that or not. Whether they were actually a good image of that or not. And they were supposed to be. It takes a lot of hard work to get to the point of being able to embrace God as the father when you have those father wounds, but it's worth every step of the work. So I encourage you to do it. Work on it. Maybe that's what you need to focus on is just this first one, God is your father for the 21 days of prayer. And every day you go to prayer, you say, God, I want 
help me to surrender this hurt I have, that it doesn't define me anymore, that it doesn't bind me anymore, so that I can know what a true father is supposed to be, so that I can love you that way and let you love me that way. Let him love you like a father loves his child. When you come to God in prayer, what comes to mind about who God is is going to make or break your prayer life. So if you think of him as the father and it's this kind of twisted picture, or maybe you think of God as like some cosmic CEO just kind of running things from afar and he doesn't care about middle management and underlings, or maybe you think of him as some angry long white beard just smiting people here and there or whatever, Whatever, what, what comes to mind when you think about God? Do you think of him as the most loving father you've ever seen? That's how he wants us to think of him. And what comes to mind when you go to God in prayer is going to make or break your prayer life. John Tyson, a pastor in New York, says this, Unless you break the stronghold of false images of God in your mind, you'll never be drawn to prayer. The angels have been locked in a room with God for thousands of years, and they still haven't gotten past the word holy. If you're bored with God, you could be the person who's boring. Or it could be that you're just distracted by trivia in our culture. When you break through that boredom, you'll be drawn to the glory of who God is. So how do you think of God? Is he just some mystical energy force out there? What, what is God in your mind? Is he some angry authoritarian type who's trying to dictate your life and smite you and mad every single misstep you take? Or is he your father? Right now, Moxie is going through, I think I'm loving the two-year-old phase right now. Every time me or Kyle walks in the door, it's this. Every time, she drops whatever she's doing. That's how God wants us to come to him. And you know what his heart is when we do that? The same as what my heart is when my baby does that to me. It's the best thing on the planet. <laughs> it is the best thing on the planet. And that's what he wants. That's how we come to him in prayer. That's how we come to him in prayer. And our kids come to us that way because they know we're their number one supporter, cheerleader, caregiver. We provide for their needs. And we ultimately have intentions of what's best for them. That's how our kids think of us when they're ah, coming in the door, running at us. Do we think of God that way? He's our ultimate source, our provider, our caregiver, our protector. And he's always looking out for our best interests. Number two. God is closer to you than your breath. This is the next part that we get from the Lord's Prayer. It comes from, so we started with our Father, right? Now it's our Father in the heavens. Our Father in heaven. That word in heaven, we think of it as this place in the sky or in the spiritual realm, right? And that, that's part of it. But the actual original word used there is in the heavens. So this place that means in the air or the sky, our Father in the air. And that doesn't just mean sky. There's air right here. There's air on my skin. There's air I'm breathing through my lungs and in my body. There's air everywhere. The air is still around you, on you, even inside your body. Our Father in the heavens. Our Father in the air all around us. 
all around us versus up somewhere in the distance or somewhere off in the future. It's not just God the Father in the future after I die and go to heaven. It's not just God the Father in this separate heavenly realm. It's why we sometimes feel closer to God in nature. Does anyone relate to that? If you're in nature, you may feel closer to God. You may experience more. You hear the wind through the trees. Or Most of us don't go in nature anymore and actually look at nature. We're kind of distracting ourselves with, I'm on a walk with my phone in my hand. And I have AirPods in listening to a podcast. That's me. I'm sorry. Maybe no one else. That's me. Um, So we're trying nature for the sake of being close to God as well, to notice his creativity. Now, everything he did, he made it for us and for his pleasure. But there's, if we have a feeling of separation from God, that's valid. You know, it's, it's a feeling, and we feel that, but it's an illusion. One of my favorite things to say is your feeling is valid, but your feelings lie to you. Do not follow your heart. The Bible says the heart is deceitful and wicked above all things. Do not follow your heart, contrary to what the world will tell you. Do not follow your feelings. Well, I feel this, so it must be true. Don't do that. It's an illusion. So we might feel separated from God, but it's an illusion created by distractions and created by disordered desires. When our desires are out of order from where they need to be, when we're not desiring God the Father first, when we're putting other things above him. But the truth is there's nowhere that God is not. He's what we call omnipresent. Everywhere, at the same time, all the time, no matter what. He is closer than our breath. St. Augustine said, God is the reality whose center is everywhere and whose circumference is nowhere. God is the reality whose center is everywhere and whose circumference is nowhere. Someone else said it this way, God does not know how to be absent. He's never not there. We might feel separated but he doesn't know how to not be close. When we feel separation, usually the problem's on us. Usually we've let in too many distractions or we have a sin that's binding us. And so there's separation. We've blocked our ears from being able to hear what he's saying. He's not far away. He's there. And sometimes he may be silent, but he's there. Our Father in the air all around us. Number three, The primary goal of prayer is joyful, worshipful, grateful enjoyment of the Father's company. The primary goal of prayer is joyful, worshipful, grateful enjoyment of the Father's company. And this comes from the next line, hallowed be your name. We don't say this very often. We're not like, like Shelly comes into practice today and I'm like, hallowed be that outfit. Like, we're not saying that, right? We're not, we don't use this wording anymore, but what does it mean? Hallowed simply means to set apart as holy. The word holy is not just a moral word, like good versus bad. The word holy is also like an aesthetic word. It's like a descriptive word. It means to be unique and special, to be set apart as holy. Galatians 5.22 says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, and it starts off with three of the best ones, or the most important ones, or however you want to say it, love and joy and peace. What is messing up this world right now? Hate, depression, anxiety. 
But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace. How do we know if something's of the Spirit or not? Love and joy and peace. When you separate from distractions to pray, which is what we're doing, especially in a very intense way through fasting, we tap into the Spirit and we begin to feel and experience love and joy and peace. When we step away from the distractions of this world. A pastor and theologian named Tim Keller said this, to hallow God's name is to have a heart of grateful joy towards God and even more, a wondrous sense of his beauty. Consider how different this is from the normal way we use prayer, to ask to get things. We may believe in God, but our deepest hopes and happiness reside in things, as in how successful we are or in our social relationships. We therefore pray mainly when our career or finances are in trouble or when some relationship or social status is in jeopardy. When life is going smoothly and our truest heart's treasure seems safe, it doesn't occur to us to pray. Seldom or never do we spend sustained time adoring and praising God. We know God is there, but we tend to see him as a means through which we get things to make us happy. For most of us, he has not become our happiness. And I know so many people, especially over this last year, God has taken on this wonderful journey of bringing more joy into their life, right? Of being there even when it doesn't make sense, maybe, of bringing that joy and that peace and that love. But is it because, you know, he gives us the full life, which is what we want, it's a benefit of following him, or is it because he is our joy, And he is our happiness. That our central joy and happiness is in him, not in something else. Jesus is basically saying through Hollywood Be Your Name, Father, I set you apart in my heart and my mind as holy, as special, as unique. There's no parallel. You are beautiful, good, and true. And I set you apart as the emotional source of my well-being. When we pray, hallowed be your name, I set you apart as the emotional source. My spouse is not the emotional source of my well-being. My relationship status is not the emotional source of my well-being. My children are not the emotional source of my well-being. My circumstances, my bank account, it's not the emotional source of my well-being. The emotional source of my well-being is rooted only in Jesus. Hallowed be your name. Be the source. Be the source of the love and the joy and the peace. Hallowed be your name. Number four, your prayers really do make a difference. You know, we hear this a lot, and make a difference is actually one of our main values here. It's one of the four. Know God, find freedom, discover purpose, make a difference. But it's not just a cliche. Your prayers really do make a difference. We talked about this a little bit last week, but it comes from, in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus would not ask us to pray this if it couldn't happen when we do it. Otherwise, it'd be pointless. He would just save that one for him and the Father to plan on and talk about and do, right? But he told us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The main way his kingdom comes is through prayer. Jesus already started bringing in the kingdom of God when he came. When he came, he said, this is the gospel, that the kingdom of heaven is near. Wink, wink, nod, nod, it's me. 
I've brought it here. You're standing next to him. That's why it's near, right? He started talking about the gospel before the death and resurrection. So the gospel isn't just the death and resurrection. The gospel is the kingdom of heaven is here. But our job is to continue to bring it to continue to bring it until heaven and earth are one, ultimately when he comes. Until from the time he first came to the time he comes back, we are to be bringing more and more and more of the kingdom of God onto this earth. Our prayers can change reality. Our prayers usher heaven into earth. Our prayers bring heaven into this earth. The truth is, though, that we don't actually believe this very often. We might say intellectually in our head we believe it, but when we go to prayer, we don't. You might hear, like, everything happens for a reason, and so that's why I don't really believe in prayer because everything happens for a reason. Or that's why this, that, and the other. Or it's a part of God's plan. And sometimes those are really frustrating because not everything is a part of God's plan. Not everything happened for a reason, except for that the enemy's on attack and running the world right now. It's not all God's doing. <laughs> he doesn't, he is not the cosmic CEO dictator of everything that happens. He allows us to make decisions. He gave us free will. Why did he give us free will? Because when you have Stockholm Syndrome as a kidnapped person, you can't love that person. You have a mental disorder. He does not want us to all have Stockholm Syndrome and have to quote-unquote love him. He wants us to choose him because love is a choice. And so the results of our actions in the world around us lead to bad things happening that are not part of God's plan. God's plan was Eden before the fall. What we're living in now is not God's plan. And he has a plan to turn it for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. But he doesn't have a plan to turn it for good for everyone. It doesn't say that. We leave off the end sometimes. He has a plan to turn it for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So when we align our will with God's will and we pray, Lord, let your will be done, let your kingdom come, regardless of what I may or may not want, I submit my will, I submit my heart to you. The Bible says I, uh, the Lord will give you the desires of your heart. doesn't mean, hey, I want a Lamborghini so God's can give me a Lamborghini when I pray. It means God takes out my heart and all of my evil desires, anything that strays me from him, even the good things that aren't in alignment with his plan and his will. And he gives me a new heart that's pumping with excitement and passion for the will of God and his kingdom on this earth. So when we say, your kingdom come, your will be done, take my heart. Jesus prayed it in the garden right before he was crucified. Lord, if we can take this suffering away, please do. But hey, not my will, your will. Jesus, Son of God, not my will, your will. If Jesus submits his will to the Father, how much more do we? Jesus seems to believe that when you pray or if you pray, some things happen, and if you don't pray, some things don't happen. Just think about that. He seems to be insinuating here that when you pray, sometimes things change. And sometimes when you don't change, those things don't happen. That whether we go to prayer or not, yes, he's in control. Yes, he knows our thoughts. Yes, he has a plan. But sometimes he will act or not act based on whether we act or do not act. He does not want to be a cosmic dictator. He wants to be in relationship with us. 
Jesus came to this earth to partner with us, show us how to team with him on mission to bring the kingdom. Not so that he could dictate everything and create an army to obey orders. That's not what he wants. He wants it to be out of relationship. That's why it starts with God the Father. God the Father. If we don't believe that, if we don't believe this, it makes prayer basically dead weight. If we don't believe that things can change when we pray, it makes prayer dead weight. What's the point? If we don't believe things can change. Dallas Willard, we've quoted him a lot lately. He teaches a lot on, or wrote, he's passed away now, but he was a theologian who wrote, and a pastor who wrote a lot about spiritual disciplines, and of course, prayer is one of the biggies. He says this, God's response to our prayers is not a charade. He does not pretend that he's answering our prayer when he was only going to do what he was going to do anyway. Our requests really do make a difference in what God does or does not do. The idea that everything would happen exactly as it does, regardless of whether we pray or not, is a specter that haunts the minds of many who sincerely profess belief in God. It makes prayer psychologically impossible, replacing it with dead ritual at best. And of course, God does not respond to this. You wouldn't either. Has anyone ever got sick of like someone repeatedly coming to them and saying sorry for the same thing over and over again, but they don't actually change it? It's like they're just doing it for, because that's what you're supposed to do. It carries no weight. I've actually told my son sometimes, can you just not say sorry and just prove it to me? Thanks. <laughs> you know? He doesn't want dead ritual. That doesn't carry any weight with him. He wants there to be something in the heart that's real. So when you pray, come with a holy tremor in your mind and body because you are about to change reality, or at least you have the potential to. You are about to partner with the Spirit of God to bend reality in the direction of God's will done on earth as it is in heaven. And let me just pause here real quick. Because sometimes prayers don't get answered the way we've prayed for them to be answered. Sometimes it's because we're just praying a ritual at best, like he said. Sometimes it's because our heart's not in it. Sometimes we don't really believe it. Sometimes we believe God's going to do what he's going to do regardless of what we have to say about it. Sometimes that's the reason. But it's not always. The Bible also says God's ways are higher than our ways. We cannot understand them. And there is a lot out there that says, well, the prayer didn't happen or they didn't get healed or whatever because you didn't have enough faith. It's not true. Sometimes it could be. There could be some people. Or because there's a sin in your life. Yeah, sometimes. When God heals people, sometimes he said, now repent of your sins. And other times he said, clearly, he's not blind because he's a sinner. (laughs) So there's differences. We have to, the key is aligning our heart and will with God's heart and will. Because then we know his plan for God's glory. Because sometimes God's glory comes through the healing. And sometimes God's glory comes through the suffering. And there is myriads of books of the Bible in the New Testament about God being glorified in the suffering. And our suffering being joy. And our suffering being part of God's refining process in our lives. So it doesn't mean always that you're doing something wrong. But first thing, if God's not answering your prayer, check your heart. Go to God. What is your will? Or am I just praying for my will to be done? We need to pray for his will to be done. So recap. Number one, God's your dad, and he has good intentions for you. 
He's the best version of dad. He's not the version of dad you had on this earth. Even if you had the best version of dad on this earth, he's better than that one. Number two, he's close by and not far away, and you have joy and love and peace just waiting for you to tap into. Number three, the main point is just to have fun in the Father's company. Enjoy God. If anything, for 21 days of prayer and fasting, my heart's desire for you would be enjoy God. If nothing else, for 21 days of focusing in on God, enjoy his presence so it doesn't become just a chore or checking it off the list, that you enjoy God's presence. Number four, your prayers really do make a difference. And this is different. God is not a grumpy old man in the sky. Prayer is not just for asking what we want. When we think my prayers don't actually make a difference or that most of us believe most of us believe at least bits and pieces of those things, but really we're to enjoy God. Our prayer makes a difference. He's tapped in, listening. He wants us to tap into him. When you get these four things, then you're finally ready for the next half of the Lord's Prayer. Did anyone forget we were in the Lord's Prayer? So those are the first four things. And once we get our hearts set right, then we can move on. Verse 3, Luke 11 and verse 3 and 4. Then he says, give us each day the food we need. And forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation. Now, this isn't where you, like, run to your genie lamp and be like, okay, so I got my heart in line with God. Now I can ask for the things I want, <laughs> right? It's not where you get your Amazon card out and you're like, okay, now we're going to be able to magically afford all these things that I need. But it's where you get to your prayer card. Note, prayer card's on your seats. You can grab that now if you want. This is where you get your prayer card or your prayer list or your prayer journal, and you pray for your needs and wants. So what I would encourage you to do, some of you may know right now what things you want to add on to your list, but I would encourage you to go home and pray, God, set my heart in line with your will, and then write your needs and wants. On After you do these first four steps, then write your needs and wants. And then as you go through these 21 days of prayer and fasting, you can use that as a bookmark in your Bible or set it in your visor in your car or tape it to your mirror or whatever you want to do with it. Take a picture and set it as your wallpaper on your phone. And after you get through these first four, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Now these are the needs and wants that I believe you want me to intercede for. And then we get to this prayer list. Because now you have the heart posture. Now you have the right heart posture to come to him and ask. This is no longer like a shopping trip with Santa situation. We've made prayer something like that at times, right? Uh, this is now acknowledging God as your source, knowing that we cannot do this without him. It's a coming to him, I need you, just like a son or daughter comes to a father, I need you. I need you because I can't open the fridge and fill up my cup with apple juice. So I need mama to do it. <laughs> it's just like that. We come to him because he's the source. He's the source. The Lord's Prayer is more of a template than a liturgy. It's not just something to memorize and recite, although I highly encourage you to memorize it. since it's easier for you to pray through it. But there is a flow, there is a purpose, there is an order. And it's because he wants us to have the right orientation, the right heart orientation before intercession. He wants orientation before intercession. What, he, what Jesus asks for 
know, he sets the heart posture, and in that, he asks for God's kingdom to come and God's will to be done. Those are the first things he actually asks for. Then it goes into daily bread, our wants and needs. And I think this is in your sermon notes. If you didn't get some, you can grab some on your way out. So you have this because you can use this as a template um, for prayer in these next 21 days and onward. But then daily bread, which represents our wants and needs, the food we want and the food we actually should have. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Number four is then we ask for forgiveness and to be able to keep forgiving others as we've been forgiven. And five, keep away from temptation or bad things or pray for safety. Most of the time we pray the Lord's Prayer in the opposite direction, which then would not be the Lord's Prayer. We pray to be kept away from temptation or bad things or safety. Then we're like, oh, yeah, um, forgive me for that thing. All right, I want all these things now. Okay, your will be done, your kingdom come, amen. He has it in the opposite order than what we might normally pray, right? Wants and needs, forgive me, prayer list. Oh, yeah, and your will be done. And uh, then maybe sit in the Father's company for a little bit, but really you've run out of time and you need to get in the car and get to work. We didn't really leave much for sitting in the Father's presence. That's the most important part. Everything else can come out of that. The flow matters. The order matters. So practice. Practice, practice. Here's your list. Number one, set aside a time and a place to pray. Jesus always had a specific time and a specific place. He was going. He went to the lonely place, the wilderness, the eremos, to pray. Set a time and a place to pray, even if just for five minutes. Most of us, it's going to be best in the morning. If it's not, I am not a morning person. I am way more likely to fall asleep in my devotions in the morning. However, I'm going to give you a six-point list on how to do it in the morning anyway. And I'm going to try to be practicing this for my 21 days also. Because this is the thing. I'm like, I'm not a morning person. God made me that way. So then I started trying to do it in the afternoon or the evening. Then my whole entire day has taken over. And I didn't start with God in the first place. Even if I just start with like, uh, like this morning, I turn on my Lectio 365 app and it leads me through a guided prayer through scripture. And I just start off with that before I do anything else. Even if that's all I can get in right then, that's better because it starts my day off. And then I can maybe have more set aside time later, right? But set aside a time and a place to pray even for just five minutes. Homework today over lunch when you go home, because if you wait until after lunch and the nap, you will forget all that I have just said. Okay, it's fine. I know it. It's fine. So homework over lunch. What five minutes of each day in the next 21 days are for God, are for you and God to just enjoy each other? What five days or five minutes of the next 21 days are you going to do that? 705 to 710 while I brush my teeth. Whatever. I don't care. Set it aside for God. Maybe not while you brush your teeth because that could be a distraction. Number two, pray the Lord's Prayer. Pray the Lord's Prayer. So you could type it up in your notes app, take a screenshot so you have it to always go to if you don't have it memorized. You could take a picture of your Bible. You can do the short version in Luke 11. You can do the long version that is more well known in Matthew 6, whatever you're comfortable with. But write it down somewhere, keep it somewhere where you can go to it every day in those five minutes. And in those five minutes, you're going to set aside some time to pray through the Lord's Prayer. Yes, prayer is a discipline, but it's mainly a means to an end, and the end is a relationship with God. So you can either recite the Lord's Prayer, read the Lord's Prayer, or you can pause and be like, Our Father, God, I really struggle with relating to you as a father. Can you show me why 
And maybe you don't get past that one in your first five minutes, and that's fine. And then the next day, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. God, I really need you to be the emotional source of my well-being. I've been relying on whether or not my husband washes the dishes as my emotional source of happiness. I have been relying on this, that, and how much dog hair is getting stuck in my vacuum cleaner. You know, whatever. This is your time to relate with him, but you go through the template. That can be it, or it can be our Father who's in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Whatever one you want to do, just five minutes every day, Lord's Prayer, because we want to be able to not forget the heart behind it. It's a relationship with God. All relationships take time. Have you ever heard love is spelled T-I-M-E? It might sound cliche or cheesy, but it's true, okay? A lot of cliches are true. Uh, All relationships take time, and our relationship with God is the same. So how often do we need to be spending this time with God? The answer to that is how much do you really want to be in relationship with him? Is your five-minute set-aside going to continue past the 21 days? Is your 21 days going to look just the same as the last 21 days, or are you going to step, step it up a notch? What are we doing? All right. Next thing, Paul Miller's six rules of thumb for mourning. I think that's next. And I just want to note that thumb is supposed to have a B on the end. I just want everyone to know I know how to spell thumb. Typos. It's fine. All right, number one, go to bed. This is how to pray in the morning. You have to go to bed the night before. So you actually get sleep. Number two, get up. Don't stay in the bed. You'll fall back asleep. It's too warm and cozy there. Especially right now because I have a pregnancy pillow. So it's like wrapped around my entire body and it's very cozy. Number three, get awake. Getting up and getting awake is not the same thing. Wake yourself up a little. Brew some coffee. Slap some water on your face. Do some jumping jacks. Wake up. Some of you are morning people and you're like, I don't need this list. But for the rest of us, for like the other 75% of us in here who aren't morning people. Number four, get to a quiet place. This for me means I have to either get up before my baby gets up, and there's no telling when she gets up because she doesn't really have a regular time, and I don't want to get up like an hour before I have to. You know what I'm saying? Or I can put in noise-canceling headphones, (laughs) or I have like protective ear gear that I sometimes put on. So get to a quiet place. Then get going, start praying, number five, get going, and number six, don't stop. That's it. Six rules of thumb for praying in the morning, and I think that's on your notes. If you didn't get them written down, they're on your notes, so you can remember that. But this is how we pray. Jesus taught us. It's so clearly laid out, and we make it so complicated, and we make it more than it needs to be, but the disciples, the original 12 disciples, and now all of us, Ask Jesus, teach us how to pray. He's like, all right, here you go, checklist. This is how you pray. This is your template. This is the flow. Get your heart right with God. Know that he's your loving father. And then these are the things that you can ask him to cover for you once your will is in line with him. That's all he wants from us. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your love. Thank you so much for your grace. Thank you so much that you have the heart of a father. Father God, We love you. We love you and we praise you. Thank you that you want just a relationship with us, that you want us to enjoy each other, that you're not a dictator, that you are out for our best intentions and you want us to choose you and love you and you want us to experience love and joy and peace. And I pray that we would open our hearts up in these next 21 days to do that even more than we have in the past. 
Holy Spirit, speak to us and guide us and counsel us and give us conviction of what it is you want us to do in these next 21 days, how we can set this first part of the year aside to give it to you, to start it off right, to make you the center point of our well-being, the center point of our life with you on prayer. We love you so much, Jesus. With your head still bowed and your eyes still closed, if anyone here hasn't even started a relationship with God yet, or maybe you did a long time ago, but it just hasn't been there. It's not there and hasn't been there in a while. And you want to give your heart to Jesus again. You want to start on this journey again to him being the source of your life. If that's you today, on the count of three, I'd like you to raise your hand. One, two, three. Raise your hand if that's you today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let's all, let's all just pray together, whether you raised your hand or you may have raised your hand in your heart, but you couldn't get it up. Let's all pray and rededicate our lives to the Lord today. Our Father, thank you for who you are. We pray that your will would be done in our lives. I admit that I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. Give me everything I need to live for you every single day. Be the source of my life. Be the king of my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, can we celebrate with those who gave their lives to the Lord this morning? Always says there's a party in heaven when that happens. We're going to sing Awake My Soul one more time just as a response to really this message and a way to kick off what we are going to do. I'm holding two mics because I've got to switch to the singing mic in a minute. But um, to switch, to, to switch, to kick off what we're going to do in these 21 days, it's Awake My Soul. That whatever in me spiritually is sleeping or dead, that we would get on up and that we would praise the Lord, that we would acknowledge his presence. So if you could stand with us in worship, there is the cross in the back to pray. There are, there's a prayer team in the back to pray with you. So let's respond today in prayer and in praise, thanking God for all he's done. Amen. Let's worship.
blessing over the next 21 days for you. We have prayer nights on Wednesday nights at 6.30 for the next 21 days. We'd love you to join us. And if you're interested in learning more about our church, we have Growth Track Step 1 happening back behind the kids' check-in right after service. Thank you guys. Have a wonderful Sunday.